Well, this week, my son Levi saw the trailer, the movie trailer for Jurassic World Dominion. And he was like, dad, he looked at me with that look in his eyes like, dad, we got to go see that, right? I'm like, yeah, we got to go see it. Like I've seen all the Jurassic, I love the Jurassic Park, man. I got to go, we got to go see it. Maybe you felt that way about the new Top Gun trailer. Anybody else besides me, you saw Top Gun, you're like, man, I got to go see that new geriatric Top Gun. Like can Tom Cruise still play volleyball in nothing but dog tags and little shorts? I don't know. We're going to find out though. All right. But that's what a good movie trailer does, right? It leaves you wanting more. I don't, maybe you saw the, the trailer for like Fast and the Furious 37 or something in space. They're probably going to like race spaceships or something. I don't know. Maybe you're a Fast and the Furious fan and you see that preview and you're like, man, I got to see Fast and the Furious 56 about the space race or something, you know? You, you see a good movie trailer and it leaves you longing for more. You wanna see the whole thing. You want more of what you just saw. That, that glimpse in the trailer, in that one minute trailer, is enough to make you want to see the whole movie. You want to see the rest. It leaves you longing for more. Well, the arrival of Jesus, God in the flesh, stepping foot on this planet, we get a glimpse of the paradise, the freedom, the glory, the healing that are coming in the kingdom of God. As all the curses of sin are defeated and will be defeated and redeemed by Jesus. You're gonna get a glimpse today, a movie trailer, if you will, of the coming kingdom of God, when the triumph of Christ will be final and all the curses in this world and in this life because of sin will be redeemed. We're going through the gospel of Luke verse by verse and we study the scripture here verse by verse because we just believe that studying the scripture verse by verse allows you to know and understand the full counsel of God's word and so it develops a deeper faith, a deeper trust in God, a deeper love for God, a deeper commitment to the mission of Jesus. And so we preach the word verse by verse here because there's a battle out there. There's a battle out there. And listen, inspiration and entertainment are not going to get it done. Inspiration and entertainment create audiences. That's why we're not too concerned with entertainment and inspiration. No, we're here to teach you the word of God so that you can know the full counsel of God's word because we're about developing deep disciples of Jesus that are filled with compassion for a lost world, but are anchored to conviction at the exact same time because there is a battle out there that is waging. There's a storm. So in our time here together, we wanna prepare you for the battle. We wanna prepare you for the storm. We're not gonna be cute and entertaining and inspirational. You need to know the word of God so that you can become a deep disciple of Jesus, filled with compassion and anchored to convictions for the coming battle, for the coming storm. And we're not just studying the gospel of Luke in here. We're studying the gospel of Luke in our city groups. We want every last person in our church in a city group where they can know others and people can know them and they can study the scripture together. We're asking you to study the gospel of Luke with us this next week through our daily devotionals on the Bible study tab on our app Monday through Friday. We'll break down these exact same verses and passages with more commentary and questions and prayer points. And then we're challenging you to study the gospel of Luke together as a family because your kids and our students right now in their classes are learning these exact same passages. And so we provide the table talk as a resource for families to discuss the gospel of Luke together around a lunch table or around a dinner table. And so the, the table talk is on our app as well under the Bible study tab. Our hope in this series is that we will all be drawn to Jesus. We'll want more and more of Jesus. Just like we saw two weeks ago with the parable of the seed and the soils. Jesus talked about the good soil that receives the word of God. It goes down and it bears roots and it bears fruit and it transforms your life. And then, it, and then Jesus said this, that the seed that's sown on good soil produces this desire for the word of God. It said that they cling to the word and they want more of the word and they want more of Jesus. And so that's our, that's our prayer is that as you get little tastes and glimpses of the kingdom of God, when we gather together, that you'll want more. You'll cling to the word. You'll cling to Jesus. You'll be drawn to Jesus. So Luke chapter eight today, verse 22 through 56. Open up our app now. It's the, called the City Church Lubbock. You can download that in your app store and you can follow along with our message today on our message notes. 
All the verses will be there. The points are there. You can fill in the blank as we go. The verses will be on the screen as well. But today we're going to get a glimpse of the triumph of Christ over the curse of sin. It's a movie trailer of the triumph of Christ over the curse of sin. It's a glimpse. It's a movie trailer of the kingdom of God. And so today we're going to, we're going to taste, we're going to get a glimpse. We're going to taste and see that the Lord is good and that his kingdom coming is great news. All right. Luke chapter eight, starting in verse 22, it says this one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and they started out. And as they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap, but soon a fierce storm came down on the lake and the boat was filling with water. These guys are following Jesus. They're with Jesus and they still go through a storm, right? It kind of destroys that whole idea, that Pollyanna idea that if I'm going to follow Jesus, things are going to go well for me and everything's going to be happy and healthy and good all the time. That, That couldn't be further from the truth. These guys are with Jesus in the middle, in the center of God's will. They're with Jesus and they still go through a storm and the boat is filling with water. Maybe you've been there before and the storms of this life and and water's filling the boat from every direction and you get desperate. It says, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up shouting, master, master, we're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves. And suddenly the storm stopped and all was calm. All was calm. With a word, Jesus brings the raging storm and the waves to calm. Then he asked them, where is your faith? The storm had rocked the disciples' faith a little bit. Maybe you've been there before. Where's your faith? The disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Who is this guy? He speaks and the creation, the world obeys him. He he speaks and the wind and the waves actually obey the words of this man. In Genesis chapter three, verses 17 through 18, we learn that because of sin, the ground is cursed. The earth, the land, the seas have been cursed because of sin. In Romans chapter eight, verse 20, Paul says it like this. All creation was subjected to God's curse. So we experience storms and disasters, earthquakes, tornadoes, tsunamis, things of this nature. We experience these disasters, these storms very literally here in these verses, but, but you and I also figuratively, we experience these kinds of storms and they're all the result, results of the curse of sin. Whether the storm happened to you, someone did something to you, whether it's of your own making that the storm is maybe because of your own decision making that's gotten you in the disaster that you're in, or, or maybe It's no one's fault. It's just a disaster. And you're going through the storms of this life. Listen, they are all the result of the curse of sin. This land, this world, the ground has been subjected to God's curse. But here we see the storm submitting, the disaster submitting to the authority of Jesus with a word. In Colossians chapter one, Paul says that all things were made by Jesus and exist for Jesus that Jesus created all things. So in Genesis chapter one, verse one, when God says, let there be light, that's Jesus speaking and creating all things. All things were made by Jesus. And Paul says, all things exist for Jesus. Hebrews chapter one says it like this, that all things were created and sustained. So all things were created and then all things are sustained. Creation is sustained, Hebrews chapter one says, by the power of his word. By the power of Jesus's word, he creates and then sustains all things. And so with a word here, we see Jesus triumph over the curse on creation with a word. So here's the glimpse Jesus gives us in this first passage. Jesus gives us a glimpse of the coming paradise. Jesus gives us a glimpse of the coming paradise. The storm is raging and Jesus speaks and all is what? Calm. All is calm. It's a glimpse of the coming paradise that is yours in Christ. 
in the kingdom of God. When Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom on this earth, the storm that rages, the chaos, the disaster that rages will all be what? Calm. This is a glimpse of the coming paradise that is yours in Christ. This is a taste of when the earth will itself will be redeemed. The old earth will be gone. There will be a new earth that comes. I, I love this in, in Romans 8 verse 21. Paul has already said all creation was subjected to the God's curse. That, that's in verse 20. Verse 21, Romans chapter 8, he says this, but all creation is looking forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. I love that. That just like you and I long for the kingdom of God, long for that new body when our old body will be gone forever. And will we have that new glorious resurrection body that is not phased by sin and sickness and, and death. Just like we long for that new body. Paul says the world, the universe itself is longing for the day when Jesus returns and it will join God's children in glorious freedom. What a great description of the paradise that's to come. Glorious freedom from death and decay, that even the world, the ground, the seas are crying out for the return of Christ when they will join in the redemption that is ours as God's kids. Jesus will bring a calm to the storms and to the disasters. Jesus says to the disciples, no doubt because their faith has been rocked because of the storm, where's your faith? And maybe this morning, that, that's you. Your, your, your faith has been rocked. Your faith has been derailed by the storm. Would you, in this moment, glimpse, just get a glimpse of the power of Jesus over the storm and see the coming paradise that's yours in Christ? Just a glimpse. This coming paradise, it's yours. And maybe your faith will be stirred once again this morning. Let's keep going. Verse 26. So they arrived to the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. And as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, why are you interfering with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Even the demons know who Jesus is. The, the demons know that Jesus is the son of the most high God. And if you've been with us for very long, you know that that confession means they see Jesus as being of equal value and substance as the father. Because to say in the Jewish world that you were the son of someone meant that you were of the same substance and value as your father. And so the demons are recognizing here that Jesus is of the same value and substance as God in the flesh, of, of God, that he and the father are one, that Jesus is God in the flesh. And so the demons recognize this. You are the son of the most high God. Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. Scholars have said that this possibly means that much like a, a Roman legion was thousands upon thousands of soldiers, that this man was possessed by thousands upon thousands of demons that have taken him hostage, that have taken control over him. The demons kept begging Jesus to not send them into the bottomless pit. We'll talk more about that here in just a second, but this is their recognition that one day, and they're wondering if now's the time. In fact, in the other gospel accounts of this story, they say, is the time come? As the time come, they're wondering if the time has come because they, they, they know and they realize, the demons know that one day Jesus is going to be done with them forever. He's gonna punish them forever. And so they're asking, has the time come that you're going to throw us into the bottomless pit? There, there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby. And the demons begged, do, do you hear their submissive attitude and spirit and tone towards Jesus? Don't torture us. Please don't hurt us. Please let us go into the pigs. They're begging him to let him go into these 
this herd of pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. They can do nothing without his permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. This is always what the devil's trying to do to you. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He's trying to drown you. There's a war. There's a battle that you're in right now. There's a war. There's a battle, even in this moment for your attention, for your heart, for your mind, for your soul, for your kids. The devil's trying to drown you and your family. That's why we got to lean in. That's why we got to engage. There's a battle being waged right now. Devil's trying to take you out. This is always the result of turning away from Jesus. And Paul said in Ephesians 2, and following your master, the devil. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who'd been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus's feet. Now watch this. Now he's fully clothed. He he was naked. He's fully clothed now. He was mad and insane. Now he's perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. The people are afraid of what's happened here. Then those who had seen what happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed and, and all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone for a great wave of fear swept over them. You see, not everybody's gonna respond positively to the identity and authority of Jesus. Some people are gonna be afraid. Some people don't want what Jesus has to offer. We'll talk more about that here in just a second. But not everybody responds positively to the great news. They didn't even respond positively, all respond positively to Jesus himself. So what makes us think that everyone's gonna respond positively to us and to what we believe? Some will not. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. He wants to go with Jesus, but Jesus sent him home. No, here's what you're gonna do first. You, You've experienced the the power of Jesus, the freedom of Jesus. What are you gonna do first? No, you gotta go back home to your family. You gotta go get right with your wife. You gotta go get right with your kids. You gotta go get right with your job. You gotta go get right in your community. No, you gotta go back home because the result of transformation is that you start getting all of your relationships right. And transformation following Jesus starts in your home. And so Jesus says, you gotta go back home. Then then you can go tell everybody else, but you got to go back home first and tell your wife about what Jesus has done for you. Tell your kids, tell your, tell your family, tell, then it says, and then he went everywhere. He's telling everything that God has done for him. So he went through all throughout the town, proclaiming the great things that Jesus had done for him. In Genesis chapter three, verse 15, one of the curses of sin God says is that there will be hostility between the serpent, that is the devil, that's Satan. There will be hostility between the serpent and the woman. There will be hostility between the serpent, that is the devil, and the offspring of the woman. That, that's, that's you and me. So Jesus, or the Lord rather, says to the woman, to Adam, to Eve, and to the serpent, there's going to be war. There's going to be a spiritual battle. There's going to be enmity between us and the devil, and so the devil is trying to steal, kill, and destroy every work of God, including his kids that he created for a relationship with himself and to worship himself. Satan is seeking to steal glory from God by taking hostages, just like he did with this man. This man has been taken hostage by the devil. His life is being destroyed. He's homeless. He's naked. He's miserable. He's lost control. He's lost control of his senses. And this is a picture of what it looks like to be under the rule of Satan without Christ. You see, you've got to understand that when you decide to not follow Jesus, you're not just doing your own thing. Paul says in Ephesians 2, like I said earlier, you're following your master, the devil. And he's going to destroy your life. This is a picture of mankind under the rule of Satan without Christ. Homeless, naked, miserable, with no sense. But the promise in Genesis 3, after the curses of sin are laid out, was that there would be a seed of the woman. There, there would be a, a seed that would come to the woman. Gen- generations 
later, but there would be a seed that would be born to the woman that would crush the head of the serpent that would crush the curses of sin. So there's a seed coming. There's one that's going to come from a woman that will triumph over the curse of evil, that will triumph over the serpent. That is the devil that will crush his head. And here's what the demons know. That seed that will crush the head of the serpent is Jesus. They fully recognize that right here because they're begging to not be thrown into this bottomless pit. This is a reference to Revelation chapter 20, verse three, when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom here on this earth for a thousand years before we enter into an eternal state. It says in that thousand years that Jesus is going to put the devil and all the demons into a bottomless pit where they have no more authority and they're not able to exercise any influence over anyone on this earth for a thousand years. And then at the end of the thousand years, Jesus is going to loose them from the bottomless pit and throw them into the lake of fire where they will be punished forever with fire. And so the demons know this. This is the son of God. This is the seed of the woman who's come to triumph over us. And they're wondering, is now the time? Is now the time you're gonna throw us into the bottomless pit? Please don't throw us into the bottomless pit, Jesus. And it's not the time yet. And so Jesus allows them to go into this herd of pigs because the time has not yet come. He's going to triumph over them at the cross and through his resurrection from the grave. But ultimately one day he will triumph over the devil and his demons forever when he throws them into the bottomless pit and then from there into the lake of fire they ask to go into the pigs. Jesus gives them permission. They recognize his authority over them. So, so here's the glimpse that we get in this passage. Jesus gives us a glimpse of the coming victory. The, the, the victory that's ours in Christ, the victory that is still yet to come. This is a glimpse of the coming justice when evil and Satan will be destroyed forever. Maybe you've had this question before. Maybe you've heard this question before. If God is so good and so loving and so powerful, then why does he allow evil and suffering in this world? Why doesn't he put an end to all the evil and suffering in this world? If God is so good, loving, and powerful. And the Bible's answer to that question is, he's going to. He is. First John three verse eight says this, that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He's going to destroy evil and suffering and the devil once and for all. And you might say, well, what's taking so long? We'll talk more about that here in just a second because there's a great reason. But Jesus not only came to seek and to save the lost, the Bible tells us that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Michael Byrd, in his book, Evangelical Theology, said this, Satan's worst was no match for the best of the Son of God. The fatal wound of Jesus deals a fatal blow to death itself. The powers, you gotta hear this, this is so cool. The powers of this present darkness shiver at the looming tsunami of the kingdom of God as it draws nearer. And don't we see that in this passage? that the demons shivering, quaking with fear as the time come, begging to not be tortured and destroyed. The powers of this present darkness shiver at the looming tsunami of the kingdom of God as it draws near. In Christ, we see the kingdom has come, but as theologians will say, it's not only come, it's, it's coming. It's the already, but not yet. The kingdom has come, but it, but it is coming. And that's why Bird describes it as looming tsunami. It has come, it's coming, and it's going to come. It's already, but, but not yet. And so this victory is ours now, but it's also a glimpse of the victory that is to come. This glimpse of victory gives us a taste of the freedom, the peace, the rest that is ours in Christ. But isn't it interesting that Many of the people fear Jesus and want him to leave. This man has been totally saved and rescued from the bondage that he was under. He's been set free. He's at peace. 
He's in his right mind. His relationships are being restored and they're being made right. And what are the people saying? No, no, get out of here. We don't, we don't want that. We don't, we don't, Jesus, we don't want you. They're afraid and they, they want Jesus to leave. They fear because being under the authority of this man that he clearly has means you're going to change. And not everybody wants to change. But if you follow Jesus, you're going to change. You're going to be transformed. That's just what happens when you follow Jesus. You will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like this man was. It's going to cost you something, and that scares them. It scares the people, and so they want Jesus to leave. It's a great picture of man's thinking about God under demonic influence. Man, if I follow God, if I give my life to Jesus, he's going to torture me. Don't torture me, Jesus. It's man's thinking of what it must be like to follow Jesus and to give your life to Jesus under demonic influence. Uh, he, he's going to... He's going to be a cosmic killjoy. He's not after my joy or he's not after my fun. He's going to keep me from having fun. He don't want me to have fun. It's the picture of man's thinking about God under demonic influence. Don't, don't torture me. Following God's going to be torture, but it's actually the opposite. This passage shows us that it's actually the opposite, that we're tormented without God, that we're hostages of Satan apart from Christ, and that life and peace and joy are found in submitting to Jesus, not running from Jesus. They're found in submitting to Jesus. This man, after encountering Jesus, wants to be with Jesus. He wants to spend more time with Jesus. Doesn't sound like torture to me. It sounds like a man's life has been changed and he wants more of what he's tasted. He wants more. He's clinging to Jesus. He wants more of Jesus. He wants more of the word of God. If this is what it means, if this, this freedom, this joy, this peace, if this is what it means to follow Jesus, I want more. It's almost as if what David said in Psalm 16 is true. Joy and pleasure are found in your presence, God are found inside the, the lines, the inheritance that you've given me, inside the boundary lines that you've given me. The land that you've given me is good, David said. But apart from you, I have no good thing. Apart from you, I have no good thing. But in you, God, in your presence, there is joy and pleasure forevermore. This man wants more. Let's keep going. Verse 40. On the other side of the lake, crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. This is a man of importance, of, of, of wealth, of power and position. But a disaster has struck his home and he falls in humility at the feet of Jesus, on his knees, pleading with Jesus to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him, he was surrounded by the crowds. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she couldn't find a cure. Coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked, and everyone denied it. And Peter's like, this whole crowd is pressing up again. We're walking through a crowd. You ever been through a thick crowd like at a Texas Tech game or a concert or something like that before? You got people on every side of you. Peter's like, we got people on every side of us, Jesus. How can you tell that someone touched you? Everyone's touching. But Jesus said, no, no, no. Someone deliberately touched me in faith for I felt healing power go out from me. When the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees in front of him. The whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Daughter. Jesus said to her, your faith has made you well. Circle that, underline that, highlight that, you know, whatever you got, right? Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith. Don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. 
When they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the little girl's father and mother. The house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but Jesus said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him. They laughed at Jesus. They laughed at the words of Jesus. They, they mocked the word of God because they all knew that she had died. Then Jesus took her by the hand and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned and she immediately stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were overwhelmed, but Jesus insisted that they not tell anyone what had happened. In Genesis chapter three, verse 16, God says, because of sin, you're gonna experience pain in this life. And that pain is going to lead to decay and that decay is gonna to lead to death. Verse 19, from dust you came to dust you will return. The curse of sin is death, it's pain, it's suffering, it's sickness, it's disease. We see a glimpse of this with this woman here who's bleeding, who's been suffering for 12 years. We get a glimpse of this in Jairus' daughter who's, who's dead. We get a glimpse of the, the curse of sin. This woman has been bleeding for 12 years. Most scholars believe it's a uterine hemorrhage. No one's been able to help her. And because of this blood, she's unclean, which means for the last 12 years, she's been unable to worship in the synagogue or at the temple with her faith family. She's been cut off religiously, socially. She's in pain, she's suffering. And in her desperation, with a mustard seed of faith. She touches Jesus' garment thinking, if I could just touch him, maybe, maybe he'll heal me if I could just touch him. And it's interesting, isn't it, that Jesus has noticed the, the difference between all the other touches in the crowd from all the other people that are beside him and the touch of one suffering woman who touched him in faith. There's a crowd of people around him that are curious about him, but, but, but one person, one woman who's been cut off, so, she's an outcast, she's been cut off socially and religiously because she's ceremonially unclean. But with a mustard seed of faith, she touches Jesus and Jesus feels it. He feels the faith of this one woman in this crowd of people. And because of her faith, Jesus says this, your faith has made you well, daughter, he calls her daughter. She's been cut off. You gotta understand the importance of this. She's been cut off from her people, socially, religiously. She's been unable to worship in the temple. And with a word, Jesus restores all of that and calls her daughter, daughter. No, you are a part of the, by your faith, you've been made a part of our family. There's nothing else you have to do with a word. Jesus receives her into the family of God as he calls her daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This was, this was huge. This is a priestly blessing from Numbers chapter six. Go in peace. What Jesus was saying here was that because of your faith, you've been made clean. You've been accepted. You've been forgiven. And there's no reason to fear anymore. Go in peace. Because of your faith, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your faith has cleaned you. It means you're accepted by God. It means there's nothing to fear. Well, this whole time, Jairus, the leader of this local synagogue, has to think, my daughter is dying. Right? Like, we, we were going to see my daughter. What are you doing, Jesus? My, my daughter is dying. Time is of the essence. He, he had to be thinking, Jesus, this, this woman's an outcast. Let's keep going. Like, he's the leader. You caught this? He's the leader of the local synagogue. So who was probably the one that had declared her ceremonially unclean and kept her out of the temple? kept her out of that local synagogue. 
Probably it was Jairus. And so Jairus probably knows who she is in a village like this and, and had to be thinking, Jesus, why are you wasting your time on this woman? She's an outcast. She can't even worship with us at the city. She's unclean. Jesus, stop wasting your time on this unclean woman while my daughter is dying. He had to be thinking of that. At the exact same time, this woman has to be thinking, wait a second, you're going with him? You know that's the guy that's been keeping me out of the temple, out of the synagogue, right? You know that's the guy that's declared me ceremonially unclean and has been more committed to his own ceremonies than he has been to showing me mercy and getting me the help that, that I need, right? Like, why are you going with him? It's interesting to see the, the dynamic at play here, right? Both wondering maybe possibly why is Jesus helping this person? It reveals that that Jesus shows mercy not only to the needy, but to the unmerciful, to those who don't deserve it. Jesus shows mercy to people who think they all have it, they have it all figured out, but they have really not figured it all out. Jesus shows mercy to people who get it wrong. He shows mercy to both the religious and the unreligious. And now I just want you to think about something. This isn't in the scripture, but it's just kind of a logical implication of this. After this whole scene unfolds, it, it's probably true. Most scholars have, have conjectured that it's probably true that this woman and this man would be back in the synagogue together after all of this unfolds. Worshiping God together. Once again. So can you imagine the, the reconciliation, the forgiveness, maybe the bitterness, the anger there that would have to be resolved for these two to worship together once again? Well, the word comes that sure enough, Jesus is taken too long. Jairus' daughter has died. Jairus probably, you can imagine, is maybe angry. He's upset, maybe a little bitter that Jesus has taken the time to help this unclean woman. He's the clean synagogue leader, but Jesus has taken time to help this unclean woman. He's probably angry, he's probably bitter, he's probably upset, and Jesus says to Jairus, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Have faith and she will be healed. And the crowd laughs at Jesus, laughs and mocks the word of God. Probably thinking, sure, you have power in this life. You can calm the storm. You can cast out the demon. You could even heal this woman with blood. But this girl has died. Like, yeah, with a word, you can do all these other things, but, but raise the dead? Come on. You, you might have some power, cool power in this life, but do you really have power over life after death? Well, with the word, Jesus has calmed the storm. He has cast out the demon. He has healed this woman. And once again, with a word, he performs the greatest miracle of all, the resurrection of life from the grave. By the power of his word, by a spoken word, Jesus triumphs over the curse of pain and death. And so in this glimpse, Jesus gives us a glimpse of the coming resurrection. The coming resurrection, life after the grave. With a word, Jesus commands Lazarus to come forth and Lazarus comes out of his tomb alive. With a word, Jesus heals this little girl by saying, get up. The scripture tells us that one day Jesus is gonna come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with a trumpet blast and will call out to the dead in Christ and the dead in Christ will be raised once again with a word. This is a taste, this is a glimpse of the coming resurrection. When those who have died, their bodies will literally be risen from the grave and will meet up with their souls who have already gone to be with the Lord, to be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. You're, you die as a Christian, your soul goes to be with the Father, but your body goes in that grave. It's in the ground. 
But one day, the scripture says, when Jesus returns with a mighty shout and with a trumpet blast, the dead in Christ, their bodies will be raised. And we will reign with Christ on this earth in new glorified bodies that are not subject to sin, disease, and death any longer. This is a taste of the coming resurrection. It's already ours. Hasn't come yet. But Hebrews 2 says this about Jesus. He came to destroy sin. He came to destroy death. He came to destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. This glimpse shows us the triumph of Christ over disaster, over the demons, over death itself. This glimpse shows us that Jesus can and will heal you emotionally, mentally, socially, spiritually, and physically. This glimpse of the coming kingdom of God shows us the victory, the freedom, the rest, the healing, the calm that is ours in Christ. But as a pastor, here's what I see day in and day out. There's not a day that goes by that I don't see the destruction of sin, the destruction of sickness, decay, death, suffering. It's why God gives us this glimpse because I'm sure not a day goes by that you don't see the exact same thing. And so God gives us a glimpse. And it's, it's vital that we have this, this glimpse of the coming kingdom that's ours. Number one, this, this glimpse gives you a reason to hope. You can mourn, you can suffer, you can struggle, you can persevere with hope. Just like that movie trailer, it leaves you longing for more. This glimpse leaves you longing for more. Getting a taste of the kingdom of God and its glory gives you a desire to see it. It leaves you longing for more. Just like it says of the Hebrews 11 people of faith, they longed for that heavenly city that is to come. They considered themselves aliens and strangers here on this world and they longed for that new heavenly city that is to come. The scripture says the people of God look forward. We look forward to the return of Christ with hope as does all creation. And so the joy, the excitement that's ours in Christ is not always because we're happy and healthy, but because of victory, the victory that's ours in Christ. Michael Byrd, that same theologian, wrote in his book, Evangelical Theology, he says this, what's important here is that Jesus' birth and blood that he shed constitute the victory of God over the evil one. Watch this, I love this. God's plan, he said, to repossess the world from the dominion of darkness is launched in the birth of a child who's destined to defeat the dragon that rages against the people of God. In the birth of his son, God has begun his plan to repossess the world and all that is his from the dominion of darkness. Jesus said it like this, who can go into a strong man's house and plunder him? He's talking about the devil. Who could go into the devil, a strong man's house, and plunder him? Jesus said, only a stronger man. And Jesus is that stronger man who's come to plunder all that Satan thinks is his but really belongs to the Lord. He's come to plunder him and to repossess all that is his, all that is rightfully his. God is repossessing and redeeming all that is his, the paradise that was lost is going to return. It's going to be made new when the kingdom comes. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 22, we see the redemption of all things that have been cursed by sin. Our old bodies are gone. The new bodies have come. The old earth is gone. A new earth has come. And all this is yours if you're in Christ. But, but if you're not in Christ, then, then secondly, this glimpse gives you reason to fear. If you're not in Christ, this, this glimpse gives you a reason to be afraid. And it should. Because the scripture is clear that Jesus is coming to destroy the devil. He's going to cast him into a bottomless pit for a thousand years. After the thousand years is over, he's going to let him out. And he's going to throw him into an eternal lake of fire. But here's the problem. The devil has hostages. Just like we see with this man. The devil has hostages. You know who those hostages are? 
It was you. It was me. It, it might be some of you in here right now. It's a lot of people out there. The devil has hostages. And so in Matthew 25, when Jesus is talking about this eternal lake of fire that was made for the devil and his demons, he says those that have not followed him, these goats, he's talking about goats that have not listened to him, they have not followed him, they will go into that eternal lake of fire with the devil and his demons. The devil has hostages that are headed to hell with him. And so if you wanna know why God has not yet destroyed evil and suffering, why, why he's waiting, why he's delayed his return, the scripture makes it clear. Why has God not yet put an end to evil and suffering? The scripture makes it clear. He's being patient, not wanting anyone to perish. It's a hostage situation. And the scripture says God is being patient, not wanting anyone to perish because he desires for as many as possible for all to come to repentance, to be rescued from this dominion of darkness, to be rescued from their captivity as a hostage. That's why God is waiting. That's why he's delaying. He's trying to rescue as many people as possible. Jesus said in John chapter three, I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you because you stand condemned already. You stand condemned before God because of your sin already. So I came to save you. So if you're not in Christ, this glimpse gives you a, a reason to fear because the devil's headed to hell and it's a hostage situation. Third, this glimpse gives you a reason to have faith, both for the believer and the, and the unbeliever. To the believer, this glimpse reminds us that in the storm, Jesus is, is with us, that Jesus has power over the storm, over the disaster. Jesus says to the disciples, where is your faith? And my prayers that maybe by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning, this glimpse today will grow your faith. I love what one scholar had to say about this passage between this showdown between Jesus and, and these demons. It, it says, he said this, Jesus was outnumbered, but he wasn't outmatched. Isn't that a cool picture? Jesus was outnumbered, but he wasn't outmatched. And if you're in Christ, you might be outnumbered, but you're never outmatched. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you, you might be outnumbered. The water might be filling the boat from every side. You might be going through the storm. You might be going through the disaster. You might feel outnumbered, but you're never outmatched. If you're in Christ and Christ is in you. So this glimpse gives us as believers a reason to have, to have faith. If you're an unbeliever, it gives you a reason to have faith. Jesus told the woman who touched him, your faith has made you well. It's, it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, that Jesus heals you and saves you and makes you right with himself. Some people today think if they're just good enough, maybe that they'll be right with God and they can go to heaven when they die. I'll, I'll do better, I'll try harder. Maybe my good deeds will outweigh my bad deeds and that'll make me right with God. At our church, we have what's called the City Seven. There's seven foundational truths that remind us of what we believe and why we believe it. And this week is City Seven truth number four. And it asks this question, can a person be good enough to go to heaven? And the answer is no, good people don't go to heaven because Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he's God. I believe a person is saved by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Grace alone, faith alone, and Christ alone. If you're an unbeliever here, the, the call for you is to put your faith in Jesus. It's not do better and try harder. It's to cry out in faith to Jesus to save you from your sin. And when you do, your sin is completely forgiven because Jesus died on the cross to pay the fine for your sin. You're made right with God and you can know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. When you place your faith in Jesus. And so if that's you and today's your day to give your life to Jesus, jump on our app, fill out our connect form and let us know that you're giving your life to Jesus today. This glimpse gives us a reason to have faith. Finally, this glimpse gives us a reason 
to get busy. This glimpse gives you reason to get busy. When this man who was possessed by all these demons meets Jesus, he's transformed by Jesus. He wants to follow Jesus. Jesus says, go back home. You got some work to do with your wife. You got some work to do with your kids. You got some work to do with your job and your your city and your community. You got to go back home. There's some work that needs to be done. Transformation starts in your home. It starts in your marriage. It starts in your home with your kids. So you got to go back home. And then after you've told your family about all that Jesus has done for you, then you're going to go tell everyone else about all that Jesus has done for you. And that man went through all of his city. And then he went to some more cities, we learn later, telling everyone about what Jesus has done for him. This glimpse gives us a reason to get busy. Next week, you're gonna see Jesus sending his disciples out to do exactly what he's doing, to bring rescue, redemption, and triumph. You see, as the people of God spread the gospel of the kingdom, We participate in God's plan to repossess the world from the dominion of darkness and make all things new. So we got work to do. This glimpse gives us a reason to get busy, to have hope, to have faith, and to get busy. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word this morning. And God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit right now, God, that you you are causing faith, you're creating faith in the hearts of of unbelievers right now as they hear this and and they're seeing there's there's reason to have faith. There's a reason to to fear the penalty of my sin because I'm a hostage to sin and to death and to, to the devil. But there's reason to have faith in a God who loves me and sent his son Jesus to die for me. What kind of king is that that would die for me in my place for my sin? And so this morning, God, I'm just praying that right now faith is rising up even in the the unbeliever who's seeing the beauty and the glory of the gospel, the beauty and glory of the cross of Christ where their sin was paid for. I pray they would cry out to you in faith this morning and be saved. And God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, faith would rise up in the believer, maybe even just a mustard seed of faith God, we thank you that in Christ, victory, freedom, peace, calm, rest, healing, salvation is ours in Christ. And so would you cause hope and faith and action to rise up in us as we get this glimpse, as we get this little movie trailer of the kingdom that's to come. God, give us a longing for more as we look forward to that new heavenly city that new earth and those new bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? Our team's gonna lead us in worship. We're gonna baptize some people here in just a second. It's gonna be awesome. Let's celebrate what God is doing right now in our midst.